That is about, about right. Well, I'm going to start us with prayer, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, as we uh, come together, just ask your uh, hand upon us. Get to get the privilege of just coming back into uh, these words that make up a story that makes up a part of our story. Uh, this, this journey through Romans takes us down a road that is familiar uh, in many respects and uh, certainly pertinent to the days that we're living through. So we're just going to ask that you be with us uh, again today. Uh, remind us of who we are in you, uh, what it means to have to really wrestle with uh, the fact that we, are, we, are, uh, we come into this world really fighting against you. And uh, Lord, as we're redeemed, some things change and some things continue to just be a struggle. So uh, Lord, put all that in context for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. So I don't know how many of you keep up with the news and are familiar with this brand new country that has been established in the midst of our United States. But uh, I guess, how many, how many stars are there on the flag right now? 50? 50 how many? We're going to have to add a new star and um, put a new country out there. It's called the country of Chaz. Are you familiar with the country of Chaz? Okay, well, just watch TV. You'll see the country of Chaz. It stands for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. So here's this group of people. They said, we're going to kick the police out of their thing. We're going to create our own little country right here. We're now autonomous. They've made their own country. Isn't that amazing? This is what I find amazing about it. This is a group of people who stand in front of America and say, America, here's why you're wrong. You stole this land from, from people that owned it. You stole the land. So what did they do? Steal some land from people who owned it. They said, America, here's why we're here to protest, because you've put up these, these, these borders, and you're keeping people out, and we should be a country without borders. The first thing they did when they established their country, they put up borders. They're a group of people who said, we, we demand that you, that you defund the police. We don't need police. You know what the first thing they did in their country is? They got guys with guns walking around. They're their policemen. They figured out we need some police. We, need, we, can't, we can't have such disorder around here. We need some help with that. They said, we're, we're, we're a new country. We're autonomous, and we're, we're against, we're against the, the racial inequities that are going on in our world today. First thing they discovered is that uh, some of the people inside of their, their new country are racists. They, uh, they're, they're not treating the whites that come into their country very well. They've got racial problems in their country, and their country's only like five days old. And uh, so it's really interesting to me to watch that f unfold and everything we've stood against, we, we in the course of two days just did ourselves because it reminds me about what, what we as humans can do with the word of God, um, what we can do with uh, the things that God has called us, uh, has called us to. This morning, we're going to kind of look at who we are. And uh, I don't think you get a better mirror than you get when you come into Romans chapter 7 in all of the Bible. Uh, and, and one that's caused me over my lifetime to really, to really be thankful for what I'm going to describe as a, a theology of authenticity. A theology of authenticity. Um, I think we've, we've kind of worked a little bit with... Uh, some of the differences between uh, Lutheran theology and uh, Catholic uh, or evangelical. 
And today we're just going to highlight part of what I really appreciate about the authenticity that uh, lay at the heart and the center of, um, of what it means to be uh, a Lutheran, because a lot of it comes right out of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to take us all the way over to, uh, to verse 14 is where we'll start. I'm going to remind you what Paul is doing is he's, he's answering this question, where does the law fit into our lives? He has to answer that question. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exceptionally significant question for the church to answer. Here's why. Most of the church in Rome, remember, they're converts from what? Judaism, okay? Does the law hold a very important place within Judaism? Yes, yeah, the center of it, okay? Um, if I'm a little boy growing up in Israel, I, I spend a good chunk of my early years learning word for word the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible. Why? Because this defines us as a nation. It, it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of the calling that God has, has given us as his chosen people. The law def defines me. So as these, as these Jews become Christians, um, you, you, can take, you, can take someone, you can take someone out of, out of Nebraska, but can you take Nebraska out of someone? When I become, when I become a Christian, I, I can, I'm moved out of the Jewish synagogue, but does, can I take the synagogue out of the Jew? There's always a part, right, of what used to be that remains inside of me. And uh, what Paul knows is, what the Spirit knows is, for the church to be an effective witness, you, you have to love people. You have to love people. This is still to this day one of the hardest things for us to get into our minds and our hearts. Maybe we get it into our mind before our heart. I can't be a great witness in the community if I don't love people, including people that what? Stand against me. Stand opposite of me. Believe completely different than me. Okay, they do. I don't have to agree with their opinions or political views. That's, you know, how much time Jesus spent with all of that? Not much. What I have to do is be able to see people, every person, as a soul worthy of the love of God. And Paul, knowing this, recognizes that, look, uh, if I grew up as a Jew, how do I see Gentiles? Not in a loving way, right? You're unclean. You're, you're uncircumcised, you're apart from the law. And so it, if I'm going to help the church really become impactful, I've got to address this question. What about, what about the law? Is it, do we just, when I become a Christian, do I just dump it? Does it have no place in my life? Um, so Paul's aware that I've got to answer that question for the sake of the church. He also is answering that question because it is an accusation that's being leveled against him and against the Christians by the, by the Jews. You people have just dumped the law out. So what I find is in this section, if you, and we're not going to go all the way back through it, but in this section, what Paul is trying to do first is kind of point towards what the law cannot do, and then kind of move over to what the law can do. Uh, when you get to verse 14, you start kind of moving in that direction of let's talk about what the law can do. What it can't do, it can't save you, right? I, I cannot find real relationship with, with Jesus Christ through the law. I can't. Why? I, my spirit, my, my earthly old man is opposed to it. 
I fight against it. So what can, what can the law do? <clears throat> Verse 14, he starts off with these words. He says, we know this about the law, that it is spiritual. But I, I am of the flesh sold under sin. Um, when he says the law is spiritual, that's true. You know, does the spirit work through the law? Yes, he does. Does it have a place in my life all the time? Because the spirit of God is constantly bringing it to me to help me recognize my need for uh, Jesus Christ. My need for Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to give you a real subtle example of that this morning because it's real and it's true and it's, it's this morning. I find myself, you know, walking into church and it's Sunday morning and I've, I'm going to just spend some quiet time in, in prayer. I flip some lights on. I try to get a few things ready before I go and I'm just sitting down just praying and God's impressing all kinds of stuff on me in this prayer time. But part of it is me. I just had this conversation with Jesus this morning and it went something like this. Lord, um, there's a part of me as, as old Adam of a human being who really, really wants to, to see people here. I do. Some of that's really good. Because I love you guys. I, this, is, this is my, I mean, you talk about, you go through the week. This is my highlight. You know, you come together, let's talk, let's kind of share life together. But part of it is sinful. So, so the, the, the spirits impressing this on me is like, look, why? Is it, is it because you can say, oh, hey, look, we had this many people in our church today? No, no, God, no, I don't have any of that in me. Oh, uh, Really? Uh, no, that, that, that'd be Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike has that stuff going on instead of him. He, he's the one always worried about, like, I'm Luke. Oh, yeah. This is with my prayer this morning. Empty me. That was my prayer this morning. I mean, completely empty me. I, I don't, that, that, I don't need that. I don't need that. But the, you see what the law does? Sometimes in really subtle ways, sometimes in very significant ways, it's constantly talking to us, it's saying to us, are you, are you living in alignment with what, God, what God's call is? Does it have a place in my life? Absolutely. It's spiritual. The Spirit is working through it. And what he's trying to do through it, he's trying to put to death that old part of us that clings to our identity and clings to who, what I want to do. and clings. He's trying to put that to death. So does the law have a place in my life as a Christian? It has an absolutely beautiful place in my life because I'm of the flesh. And as a person of the flesh, I, I was sold under sin. You can skip through those words pretty quickly, but they're significant because Paul is recognizing, hey, when I, when I came into this world, I was sold under sin. I was, I was a slave. When you're sold, if somebody sold you, they would sell you to someone, right? I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell Don to whoever, right? This is the money that I'm going to get for him. Now I own Don. What, what Paul knows is that when we come into this world with sin in us, we're, we're like sold to who? The devil. He becomes our owner. He's the master of our lives when I, when I come into this world because of the law. That's what the law has done to us. I come in as a sinner. I'm a slave to sin. Uh, I need help. And so when you put those two thoughts together, 
God is using the law to do what? To, to, to help us recognize that, our helplessness before what God's calling is in our life, our inability to do that. I, I become a slave to, to that. And uh, so who's going to set me free? Uh, now, Paul begins to talk about what that means. What does that mean? What does that look like in life? And what follows are what I consider to be some of the most classic words of the entire book of Romans. Uh, most of this will be familiar to you. You've heard it. Maybe you've thought about it. I try to think about it a lot because it's so, so defining. Here's what he says, beginning first 10. He says, I don't understand my own actions. You ever find yourself in that place? where you're standing with your hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, and you're like, why did I even do this, right? It's usually after you've done something. Why did I say that? Uh, why, why did I act that way? Why did I do, do that, right? I don't even understand myself. I, can't, I, not, I don't get why I'm doing what I do. Uh, four, he goes on to say, I, I don't do what I want. I don't do what I want want. You sit down and you have a conversation with somebody who's a Christian. You're like, how do you want to live? What, what, do you, what does it mean to you? I mean, if you had to just give me some bullet points, like your, maybe your top five bullet points, this is how I want to live as a Christian. What would those five bullet points look like? What, what are you doing with your life as a Christian? You say, well, let's see. That's kind of hard. If I gave you a sheet of paper this morning, could you do it? Give me your five. Five bullet points. What does it mean for you to live as a Christian? You might say, well, let's see. I, um, I, want, to, I want to be kind to other people. Okay, all right. I want, to, um, I want to be available to God. I want to be available to God. Okay. Um, I want to um, share God's word with other people. I want to, let's see, I want to support, I want to support the mission of God. I want to, so you come up with your five. I'd look at those five. I'd be like, okay, those are what you really want to do? Oh, yeah, I, that's what I want to do. Do you do that? Um, some of it. Sometimes. Does that sound about right? Some of it. Sometimes. That's Paul. He's like, I, I don't understand myself. Well, I, I know what I want to do. I know who I want to be. I have this sense, I mean, the spirit is, is pulling me towards what God wants for my life. But instead, what does he say? I do the very thing that I hate. I hate this, but then I do this. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. In other words, He's speaking back to his accusers who've said, you've just dumped the law. You, all you do is you talk about grace and forgiveness and Jesus and all that stuff. And you've, you've dumped the law. He says, no, the law is spiritual. God works through it. The law is good. Why? Because it is the voice that's saying to me, Paul, you're not living out these things. Paul, you're not being who you want to be, right? Verse 17 um, be careful with it. He says, so now, so, so now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Always be careful with that. Um, is Paul talking about escape or victimization here? Is he saying, well, look, oh, I can't help it. I'm just a victim. Okay. Not, not so much. I get a lot of that. 
I do get a lot of that. So I, in fact, I think at the heart of a lot of the issues going on in our country today is the spirit of victimization. I'm a victim. I'll tell you what, choose to live as a victim. Your life will, will, will be miserable. You'll never find joy. You'll never find peace. You never find your, your calling. And it's not what Paul's doing here. He's not putting himself in this place saying, oh, I, I'm this poor victim. This sin is living inside of me. I was sold to sin. And so guess what? I just can't help it. I just, I, well, I just can't help it. That's just who I am. No, he's not trying to escape or, or sit in a victim's seat. What he's, trying to, what he's trying to say is that when I look at who I am, I'm recognizing that I'm like these two people. And um, in classic Lutheran theology, the, the language that Luther develops is, is around the, the person of Adam. And he would say that when I look at myself uh, from a spiritual perspective, not just a physical, but a spiritual perspective, if I could look inside of me, here's what I see. I see, I see a new Adam who has become a follower of Jesus Christ. So what happened, so what's happened when the, the word of God converted me, whether that was through baptism as a child or later in life, uh, but, but it's the word of God that brings what? That brings this conversion, and I become this new Adam. But did, my old Adam didn't go away. My old Adam's still there. And so it seems like there's this battle that's going inside of me. I don't want to do this. Uh, this sin is in me. This this crash, this collision is going on inside of me. And Paul is putting that into words here. It's no longer I that do this, but sin that lives within me. There's this clash of these two persons that seem to be uh, living uh, in, inside of us. Verse 18 says, For I know this, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Really nothing. For I have the desire to do what is right, and I think these words are so significant, um, but not the ability to carry it out. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I'm going to come back to something because I think it's a thread that runs all the way through throughout Romans. And I think that it's what makes, makes Lutheran theology distinct in our world today. Let's come back to this point of comparison. I want you to read this verse we just looked at through a grace versus an obedience theology lens. Okay? Let me put that into perspective for you. Um, I, like to, I always like to do it this way. You know, Catholic, Lutheran, Evangelical. Catholics, how do I do what's good? How do I do what's right? Because it's important. If I'm a Catholic and I'm growing up in the church, I'm told that my, my life will be measured on a scale like this. So I die and I get up to heaven and here's the scale. And what's on the scale? The things that, that you did that were of God over against the things that you did that were not of God. Sin versus good works. And in most of Catholic theology, the idea is in your lifetime, you really want to try to do more what? good things, good works, than bad stuff, because if you're, if you're bad, guess what's going to have to happen? I mean, if you get it really bad, like, woo, bad, you're going to hell, right? But let's just see, you, you get it a little bit like that, Well, the good news is that you're going to get into purgatory, 
And in purgatory, then people can do some good things for you. Some people that are still alive, they can do some good things for you. And, oh, get that balance there, pop you into heaven. Like that. That's Catholic theology. How do I do these good things? How do I do them? Well, you can't. The Catholic Church says, you, you can't. I mean, you have this little bit inside of you, this little bit of that, that new Adam that wants to cooperate with God. Or excuse me, I said that incorrectly. Catholic theology would, would go so far as to say, even in that old Adam, there's a little bit, a little spark of goodness that wants to cooperate with God. But you have to feed that. And the way that you feed that is you, you perform the sacraments of the church. If you go to mass, what happens to you? It's like getting a booster shot. You get this grace. What does the grace do? It enables me now, Luke, to cooperate with God, do more good things. I, I get confirmed. Confirmation is considered, right, a sacrament. I get that shot. I can now do more good things. I get married. Marriage is considered a sacrament. I, get, I go through confession and absolution. I get that shot of grace. So in other words, Catholicism is kind of, kind of has this sense of how do I do this? How do I change this problem that's inside of me where I've got this crunch going on? Well, the answer is you perform the sacraments. The sacraments in turn give you the grace, the juice that you need to be able to work cooperatively with God and get that scale balanced out so that you can go to heaven. What's the problem with that? It's not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that supports it. There's no purgatory. There's no sense that God says, okay, look, here's what's going to happen is if you cooperate with me, then you, you can actually do enough good to earn salvation. No, Paul says the law is spiritual and it's telling me something. I'm sold under sin. I'm doomed. And in fact, the things that I want to do, I cannot do them. That's why those words are so significant. I cannot do them. What about the evangelical church? The evangelical church is different. Why? Because it operates under an obedience, an obedience theology. In other words, I, I, I recognize who I am. I am this two-person deal clashing inside of myself. And so when I become a Christian, what happens is this new man says, I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to start, I'm really going to work harder at trying to do the things that you want me to do. And so within evangelicalism, there's never a time where the foot comes off the gas pedal. The gas pedal is always being pressed down. That gas pedal is, how are you obeying God in your life today? Where are you disobeying God in your life today? And... Um, what will it mean for you to become, to have a more obedient life? And the answer is, well, I need to pray more. And I need to, I need to get the more of the Bible inside of me. And uh, I need to, to release. The, here's the problem with that. There's a lot of I in it. Paul is saying as plainly as he can, here's, I'm Paul. This is St. Paul. Do, do, you, do you measure? I don't think I measure up to St. Paul, Right? I mean, of all the human beings that ever lived, if you take a look at his, his life, I don't want to be, I don't want to stand beside him and, hey, let's compare these two people. I'd be like, no, nah, you really don't want to, I really don't want to be on that thing. It's him saying, 
I'm miserable. I cannot do the things. This is my new man. My new man is a redeemed, sancti- I'm, I'm sanctified person. I, I want to do what is right. I cannot do it. And, and so you end up in this place where, what do you do with this scripture? Uh, Luther's classic theology is one that I think has a lot of, of power in our world today because it's, it is authentic. It says, it says, guess what? Um, I, I really do, this new person, this new Adam in me, I really honestly, I do want to do what God's calling me. I want to be who God's calling me to be. But I recognize right now I can't do it. God's have to do it through me. Will you, God, will you, God, work in me in a way that now births out of me the, the kind of life that you've called me to have? It's an everyday adventure. It's a day-by-day it's not different, guys. It's not different than if you came to me and you said, I've, I've got a problem with methamphetamines. And I'd say to you, okay, you want to get methamphetamines out of your body. Yes, I do. I want to get them out. Will you? No. You know what? You can't. You can't beat it without help. You're going to have to have help. Um, once you get into help... And you get, let's say you get the methamphetamines out of your body. Is there ever a day when you just say to yourself, I'm good now. I don't need to worry about this anymore. Now, there's not one day. Every single day, you have to say to yourself, whoo, I want meth. I do. But I don't. God, would you crucify that part of me? Put to death that part of me that wants meth today. Would you help me not have meth today? Alcohol, sex, meth, you name it. All the stuff, whatever it is in your life that pulls you, I'm sold to sin. God says, you, you, you can't beat it. I can. And God must work it within you. I like to call that an authentic position when it comes to a theology of grace. Because it's a recognition that when I, when I wake up in the morning... What am I saying? Uh, I'm not a racist. Wait a minute. Maybe I am. I, I don't, I'm not that. Wait, wait a minute. I think I am. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it comes honestly before God in an authentic sense and asks God, God, would you put this thing to death that I have no control over? And would you now raise up a new person, cause me to be someone different? And so I'll have you just underline those words. They're that significant. I do not have the ability to carry it out. That's that's just heart and core to to Romans theology. Verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's that clash. So verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Hear what he's saying to his accusers? I delight in the law in my inner being. I've not dumped the law out. I delight in it. 
But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24 has always been for me one of, one of a, a list of just absolute life verses. Just kind of get it into you. It's a, it's a cry. It's a guttural cry. And um, we don't carry this cry around with us all the time, but there's moments in our life where we yell out, wretched man that I am. This is David. This is David the day that somebody comes and says to him, Nathan says to him, you're the man. And he goes, I've been hiding it from everyone and myself, but God's known it all along. I'm the man. I'm it. Right? This is Samson when he wakes up and he can't, snap the chains off of his wrists because he's lost all of his strength. And he goes, why did I do this? Right? Um, This is Moses before he dies. Man, I'll never see the promised land. Why? Why did I? Why did I do this? It's all of us at some point. It's the beauty of the law that calls me to this place where I can cry out. Um, in tears sometimes. God, this is who I am. And now he asks the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who is it that delivers me from this death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who delivers us. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. This battle will always continue. And as it continues, it puts me into a place daily of having to come before God and say, God, would you rescue me from this body of death that I carry around with me and will carry around with me until my last day? And God is the one who is at work and who is doing that. Um, So ends chapter 7, a powerful chapter that I think, again, kind of comes underneath what does it mean authentically to have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a departure from the law. It's a recognition of the importance of grace in my life as well as the importance of law in my life. Let's let's close with prayer. Lord, as we uh, close today, just give you thanks for a word that everyone here relates to. We can relate to this. No question about that battle that goes on inside of us. And that cry, we know it well. Who will set me free? And there's only one answer, and it's, it's you. We do not have the power to do it ourselves. God, would you continue this day and the next to set us free, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. It'll be interesting to watch what happens in the nation of Chaz this week.